Well, good morning. My name is Matt, one of the pastors here at Bible Center. I want to welcome you on Palm Sunday. What a Palm Sunday crowd. It's a spring break. Many of you, uh, many of our friends and relatives have uh, gone on vacation, but you are here. I am so encouraged uh, as we get to worship together today. We also want to invite those who are joining us online, maybe on vacation or uh, other parts of the state or the country. We would love to have you here next week. Uh, Easter is a big time for Bible Center Church, and we're asking the Lord to do great things. I want to welcome to our uh, Bible reading uh, Josh Willits. He's the director of our middle school program here at Bible Center. Uh, The elders just voted last week or last month for Josh to be our new middle school pastor. So essentially he's going to be doing the same thing. Uh, now with the pastor title after a year of walking through the pastoral process. So we're excited for Josh. That doesn't start, I guess, officially till July 1st, uh, but we're excited. He's a teacher, Bible teacher in our school. He and his wife, Kate, have two beautiful children, uh, Karis and Judah, and he'll read the scriptures for us this morning. Please turn in your Bibles or Bible apps to Matthew 21, 1 through 11. And please stand for the reading of God's word. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, um, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter Zion, Behold, your king has come to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. Uh, They brought the donkey and the colt and put put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the um, road, and others cut branches from the tree and spread them on the road. And the crowds went before him and followed him, shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem, and the whole city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Amen. Thanks, Josh. Heard the story this week about a five-year-old boy who had to stay home from church because he was sick. His sisters were able to go to church with their dad. He had to stay home with his mom. And when the sisters returned, it had been Palm Sunday, and they had palm fronds in their hands. So the little boy asked his sisters, what are the palm leaves about? And the sisters told him. They said, well, when Jesus came in, all the people took the palm leaves, took the palm fronds, and waved them over Jesus and shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. The little boy was so distraught. He just shook his head in amazement and he said, the one Sunday I don't go to church, Jesus shows up. (laughs) Today we're going to look at the Palm Sunday story. And then we're going to look at three ways it applies to our lives. The Palm Sunday story begins a thousand years before Jesus. David's son, King Solomon, 1 Kings chapter 1 tells us that when he rode into Jerusalem, he rode in on the back of a mule, and all of the people shouted, Blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. 300 years before Jesus, Alexander the Great, 
comes into Jerusalem and the city was abuzz. Tradition says that one of the priests brought Alexander into the temple and opened up the book of Daniel and told Alexander how he was the fulfillment of the prophecy of Daniel that he would finally bring down the Persians. And when Alexander rode into the city, tradition says that the people shouted, Blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. 150 years before Jesus, there was a wicked Greek ruler uh, over Jerusalem, that part of the Roman Empire. And there, were, there was a priest named Matthias who had several sons, and they led a revolt to bring down this wicked ruler. And when the priests, or when the, when the Maccabees, they called them, which is another word for hammer or sledgehammer, when the Maccabee brothers finally defeated their enemy, and one of them, Simon, marched in with his entourage into Jerusalem, all the people shouted. And they even waved palm leaves and said, Blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. And now we have Jesus. This young man who's growing in fame, his word, the word is getting out. He had just raised Lazarus from the dead in the town of Bethany. And the city was abuzz as Jesus makes his journey to Jerusalem. The Bible tells us that Jesus asked two disciples to go find him a donkey. When they went to find a donkey, the, the story of the donkey takes up six verses, almost half of the content about Palm Sunday. And, and it amazes me for several reasons. First, it amazes me because Jesus essentially tells the disciples not to ask for a donkey, not to buy a donkey, but to just to go take a donkey, to demand it. It would be like me sending my assistant to the airport saying, I need to rent a car. And so just tell them, Jane, just tell them, this, this is Pastor Matt Friend. I, I'm, I'm looking to, to rent a car and tell them to give me whatever car I want. Well, the folks at the airport would, might laugh, but they're not going to give me a car just because of who I am. But they did that with Jesus. Jesus had a reputation for doing great works, great miracles, especially in the area of Bethany and Bethphage. Imagine the disciples as they were begin to be confused by the fact that he wanted a donkey. Remember, they wanted Jesus to overtake his enemies. And so perhaps they wanted him to come in on a war horse. But instead of a war horse, Jesus tells them to find a donkey. Actually, it was a colt, uh, and his mom came with it. You can just picture the disciples scratching their head. Alexander rode in on a war horse. Why would he ride in on a donkey? Uh, you know, Don Quixote de la Mancha rode in on a war horse. Sancho Panza rode in on a donkey. Uh, Lone Ranger had a horse. John Wayne, as Caleb said, he had a horse. But here comes Jesus wanting a donkey. Think about how it would have confused them. But the thing that amazes me the most about this is that Matthew tells us that the donkey had never been ridden, which means it had never been broken. Have you ever tried to ride an animal that's never been broken? It's not an easy thing to do. As a matter of fact, it's impossible for most of us. Now, there's a natural explanation. Matthew says that there were actually two donkeys. Uh, one was the mare, evidently the, the colt's mom, and so that would have provided some stability to the baby donkey. But the other part of this supernaturally is that Jesus has power over nature. 
And even if his mom had been there, uh, the, the, the mayor, imagine as the donkey's riding through all the people shouting Hosanna. And not only are they shouting, but thinking about what they're doing. They're waving palm leaves that look like whips. But this donkey just peacefully journeys into the city of Jerusalem under submission to its Lord. Often on Palm Sunday, we'll hear someone say, or I've even said before, well, notice the fickleness of the two crowds. You ever think about that? On Sunday, Palm Sunday, the crowds cried, Hosanna, blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then by the next Friday, what are they shouting? Crucify him, crucify him. I guess it's possible that there were some in the crowd who were fickle, but a better explanation, I posted it to my Facebook and my Twitter uh, last night or early this morning, is that there seems to be two crowds. All four Gospels give us the record of this event, and one of the Gospels tells us that there was a crowd that actually left Bethany and Bethphage and followed Jesus all the way there. This is the crowd that was taking off their coats and throwing their coats in the road. It was an ancient symbol for royalty, as if to say, we'll let the king trample on us, if necessary, out of reverence and respect for his majesty. But there was a second crowd from Jerusalem. One of the Gospels tells us that a group came out from Jerusalem and already started heckling Jesus from the very beginning. This crowd began to say, tell your followers to to be silent. They knew that what they were saying were words reserved only for God himself. And the Pharisees were getting angry. And so it seems like there could have been two crowds. But either way, these crowds converge on Palm Sunday and leave us with a glimpse of what's to come in the days that follow. We get the word Palm Sunday from the palm fronds, the palm leaves. And sometimes I've wondered, why do we call it Palm Sunday? What's the big deal about the palms? Well, let's fast forward 2,000 more years. Let's say Jesus tarries. And 2,000 years from now, people are digging through what remains of the United States. And they find all this information about bald eagles, and they begin to scratch their head. What was the big deal about bald eagles anyway? Did they use bald eagles in war? Were bald eagles their god? Why are all these eagles on their money and on their decorations? And they they would have wondered what that's about. That's kind of what we do with the palm fronds. For the Jews, it was their symbol, like our symbol is the bald eagle. For years, when they had won great conquests, they would, they would shake the palm leaves and the fronds, and they would celebrate. That was their symbol of national conquest. We also find that the Jews had a festival called the Feast of Tabernacles, where they used the palm leaves to build huts and celebrate God's grace. Nevertheless, the people were excited. Jesus, who had great authority to heal the sick and feed the hungry and raise the dead, now they're shouting, Blessed be the Son of David who comes in the name of the Lord. I like this picture. It just gives us a little glimpse of what it may have been like for Jesus. How many of you have ever run a race, like a 5K or half marathon, marathon? Okay, a lot of you. You know, if you've ever gone, especially to the big cities, the streets are lined with people like this shouting. 
Jerusalem at this time in world history had about 40,000 people. Uh, For Passover, there could have been upwards of 200,000 people in the city proper. And there could have been over a million people in metro Jerusalem at this time of year. For Jews came through all around the empire to celebrate this great holiday, this great festival of Passover. And they're all there to celebrate and shout as Jesus comes into the city. They say, Hosanna, save now. When we were in Brazil, they shouted, Ole, 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 all the time. But now they're shouting, Hosanna, which is similar to England's God save the king. Up until now, Jesus was quiet about his kingship. He he knew that if he were to go and claim at the beginning of his ministry his deity, that he was, is God, that he would be immediately executed. And so that's why throughout his three-year ministry, Jesus tells everybody to be quiet. Don't tell them who I am. Don't tell them what you've seen. And in the year 2017, we scratch our heads and wonder, why would Jesus hide his identity for almost three years? Oh, he gave glimpses of it to his inner circle of disciples. But Palm Sunday is a line in the sand. On Palm Sunday, Jesus is telling the world, I'm no longer hiding who I am. I am coming in as your king. You are going to shout and praise me as your king. And he even tells one Pharisee who says, tell your followers to be quiet. He says, if I tell my followers to be quiet, the rocks themselves will cry out. That's a quotation from Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 11. What was he claiming to be? Habakkuk 2.11 is about God himself. Jesus says, I am the king, and I am coming to save. So what can we learn from Palm Sunday? How does it challenge us, this distant Sunday, this distant holiday? Well, three ways, quickly. Palm Sunday calls us to confess Jesus as my king. Palm Sunday calls me to confess Jesus as my king. The whole story points to the kingship of Christ. If you're taking notes, the entire book of Matthew points to the kingship of Christ over and over again like a thread woven through a tapestry. Matthew's, Matthew is saying, Jesus is your king. It fulfills Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. Where hundreds of years before the prophet said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. On on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Over in Genesis chapter chapter 49, Jacob prophesied thousands of years prior that one day a descendant from Judah, a kingly descendant from Judah, would ride into town on a donkey. I posted it to my Facebook and my Twitter this morning. Uh, There's a neat article and a neat video there about how that most scholars believe that Daniel actually predicted the exact date of Palm Sunday, thousands of years before. Uh, There's a video there, Dr. John MacArthur speaking uh, on the subject And then Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and the first thing he does is he goes to the temple with a whip. 
And we won't read all of through Matthew chapter 21 through 23, but if you're taking notes, it's important to see this whole, these three chapters as a unit. And all three chapters, over and over again, Jesus essentially comes into town and says, I am your king, confess it to be so. I am your king. He walks into the temple. Again, another, another instance that he is God. He goes in the temple. Remember what he says? He says, my house will be called a house of what? Prayer. But you have made it what? A den of thieves. Now, two things about that impressed me. One, notice he says, my house. This was God's house. So when Jesus said, my house, what was he claiming to be? He was claiming to be God. But, but the second thing that kind of impresses me is you don't go into anybody else's house and rearrange the furniture. It has to be your house. Like if you come to my house and you want to rearrange... Now, now, my wife of almost 17 years, she's in the service today. She can arrange the, the furniture any way she wants, and I, with a smile, will help her arrange it night or day. Was that brownie points, babe? Is that good? Is that good? But... You can't come into my house and rearrange my furniture because it's not your house. But Jesus comes in with the whip, kicking over tables, and he says, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. It was another instance. I am the king. Confess it to be so. And We don't have time to go through every verse, but quickly, we've got to see verse 3. In verse 3, Jesus Another claim to his kingship. In verse 3, he says, If anyone says anything to you, this is back to the donkey. We can't, we can't let this pass. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Why would he say, The Lord? He's calling himself the Lord. Again, another claim that he is God. The History Channel would tell you that the name Lord wasn't applied to Jesus until hundreds of years later. That the church made it up. That the lordship of Jesus. He was just a good man, lived in Palestine, did a lot of good things, but he never claimed to be the Lord. But here we have it in Matthew 21.3. Jesus says, I am the Lord. In verse 9, Another instance, he says, the crowds went before him shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. The son of David was prophesied to be a king from the line of David. Jesus says, I am the Lord. You know, one thing about Matthew 21 through 23 is this. Jesus leaves no room for middle ground. Essentially, Jesus comes to town and he says, crown me or kill me, but don't ignore me. Crown me or kill me, but don't ignore me. And we see Jesus give us this theme throughout the New Testament, all the way over in the book of Revelation. Remember, he calls to the church and he says, I would that you be hot or cold, but do not be what? Lukewarm. If you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my... Crown me or kill me. But don't ignore me. On this Palm Sunday, let me encourage you to either crown Jesus as your king or deny him as a fool, but stop ignoring him because he will not be ignored. 
Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 says, if you confess with your mouth, what? The Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Today, whoever calls in the name of the Lord can and will be saved. We'll give you that opportunity at the end of the service, but right now in your soul, confess him as your Lord. What else does Palm Sunday teach us? Not only to confess Jesus as my king, but number two, celebrate Jesus as my king. It calls us to celebrate Jesus as my king. We see in this passage the followers from Bethany, Bethphage, shouting, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're quoting from Psalm 118, verse 26, where the psalmist writes, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. They're also quoting from Isaiah 55, 11, For you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you will break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. What a beautiful picture of what's to come. The thing about Jesus is he not only taught lessons for the present, but he often taught lessons for the future. And we see what we call the double mountaintop rule in Bible prophecy. In other words, there are times when you read the New Testament and you see that this was fulfilled in Jesus' first coming. And then there are times when you see things that happen, but they're not going to be perfectly fulfilled until the second mountaintop, often to a distance, the second coming. And so we see this here in this example. Jesus uses Palm Sunday to show what one day will be. There is coming of day when people aren't going to just shake the palm leaves with hope that he might be the Messiah, but there's coming a day that the trees themselves will give glory and praise to Jesus as the king when he returns to establish his kingdom on earth. I like to describe Palm Sunday like D-Day. We had this past week... Uh, one of our longtime Bible Center saints, a World War II vet, uh, pass off to be with the Lord. We think about all that was celebrated on D-Day. Was the war over when the Allied forces landed on the beach of Normandy? In one sense, it really wasn't. There was a lot of bloodshed to come, a lot of fighting to come. But after Normandy, the day after, or several days later, there was this renewed sense of hope. There was this sense that even though there was much to come, we were going to win the war. And on Palm Sunday, it wasn't over, but it gave us much hope that we are going to win the war. The king that came in on a donkey and was crucified several days later will return on a war horse. In the book of Revelation, he will come and break open the eastern sky, come into his city, establish himself as king, and then everything that we got a glimpse of on Palm Sunday will be a reality. He is coming again, and we can begin to celebrate it. 
You ever wonder what church is on Sunday? Don't answer that. Um, um, church isn't ritual, right? Pagans do rituals. This isn't ritual. Our worship pastors and I, we like to call this rehearsal. What we're doing on Sunday is essentially just rehearsal. This is heaven practice. We're going to practice what it's like to worship the Lord for all eternity. I'd like to invite you to two more celebrations this week. One is Good Friday. On Good Friday, right here at 7 p.m., we are committed uh, to an hour-long service. So I've already said it. It's on the record. We're committing to, by God's grace, an hour-long service. We're going to have communion. Uh, We'll have some interaction with the scriptures and some video. Time of meditation, meditating on the cross of Jesus Christ. A beautiful service. We'd love to have you here this Friday at 7 p.m. But then, you know, next Sunday is Easter. What if we looked at Easter more like a celebration, more like a party, and less like just another holiday on the calendar? What if you came next Sunday and then after Easter service you went out with a friend and had a big lunch? Or maybe you come to the 7.30 service early and then you go take a drive someplace you just went to go see the spring leaves. Or maybe you gather your family and your friends together and you just cook out all afternoon. What if we made it a, a big party? We need your help next Sunday making it a big party. Whenever you show up, if we ask if you could, go ahead and squeeze into the middle of the auditorium or the middle of the row, and that way people can get around you. But let's all see ourselves as hosts and welcome friends and family this Easter like we've never welcomed them before. It's a celebration. Palm Sunday calls us to confess Him as King, to celebrate Him as King. But lastly, in number three, Palm Sunday calls us to calm our hearts because Jesus is King. It calls me to calm my heart because Jesus is my King. Notice verse 10. I couldn't get this out of my head this week. He entered Jerusalem and the whole city was stirred up. Now historically, why were they stirred up? We know the Romans were stirred up because they they got uneasy. This part of the world was volatile back then, and it's still volatile today. Uh, They would bring in extra troops during Passover. We had all these soldiers, all these people, again, hundreds of thousands, if not over a million people in the area. The Jewish leaders were stirred up. They were stirred up because they were afraid they were going to lose their jobs, Anytime there was an insurrection, whoever was in charge was held accountable whether they started it or not. And so the the Jewish leaders were nervous. This was a threat to their job security. If if somehow there was a, a revolt in Jerusalem during Passover, they might lose their jobs and they might lose their money. But this was also a time where the people were stirred up in their souls. Who is this man? We see it in the language of, of verse 11, and I'm only, only guessing here, but people throughout the Gospels would refer to Jesus as the illegitimate son of Mary. You know, the illegitimate son of, of Mary and Joseph. And so you can kind of see it here in verse 11. They're, they're wondering, how could this Galilean, this Nazarene, how could he do these things? Did you hear he just raised Lazarus from the dead over in Bethany? 
And so their hearts were stirred up. If only they could understand why Jesus came. If you want to flip over to Matthew 23, one verse. It's the end of this section. It forms the bookends of Matthew 21 through 23. In Matthew 23, 37, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Matthew 23, 37. The city that kills the prophets and and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And ye were not willing. Jesus came to bring peace. But they stayed stirred up. He came to bring shalom, but they were uneasy. He came to bring satisfaction, to end death and decay, to save Jews and Gentiles, men and women, adults and children, rich and poor, priests and prostitutes. But instead, the people stayed stirred up. I'd love to conclude by asking you a question. What has you stirred up this morning? You know, we come to church and we, we do it because we want to rehearse the gospel, but often we come, and I know my heart, even as a pastor, at times is stirred up. What has you stirred up today? Maybe you're stirred up because you've never put your faith in Jesus. You've never confessed him as Lord. And so there's just this uneasiness. You, you sense this calling, uh, this someone calling you to Jesus, and, and there's this uneasiness. That's That's normal. It's supernatural, but it's normal. Maybe you're uneasy because as a Christian, you have put your faith in Christ and you have confessed Him as Lord, but maybe you've not been living like Jesus is your Lord lately. And there's actions and decisions you've made and attitudes that you've expressed. And the people and the family around you and the friends around you or those who know you at work know that, boy, you really haven't shown Jesus as Lord. So there's an uneasiness in your soul. Maybe there's an uneasiness in your heart about what the Lord is doing in your family. Maybe there's dissension, fighting. You think about the Easter holiday and you're like, yay, all the family gets together. That's not especially exciting for you. You're like, if only we could just get through Easter so the family wouldn't be together. Maybe you and your spouse argued on the way over today. Maybe you're at odds with one of your kids. Maybe you're not at odds with your kids, but you just want your kids to grow up and love the Lord, and so you're just kind of kind of stirred up about your kids, or maybe there's something deeper going on in your heart. Maybe there's some sin in your life, and you know that the Lord's calling you on Palm Sunday to give that up, to walk away from it, to follow Jesus as king, and man, you're stirred up. Or maybe it's external. Maybe it's a sickness. Maybe this week you got bad news about your job and you are uneasy. I get that. Maybe you're nervous about the economy, just about you've got a job and you're still struggling to make ends meet. Most of us in here, if we are breathing, we struggle with some level of anxiety and being stirred up. I remember last November, I was at the hunting camp with my dad and some of his friends. You know, that's the place you go and nobody showers. Nobody brushes their teeth. You just, nobody washes their hands. You just eat everything. It's great. You should really try it sometime. 
And I'd been your senior pastor for six months or so, seven months, and I'm sitting around the table, and people around that table don't know Bible Center and live in different parts of the state. And I was sharing with one of the guys, he goes to a good Methodist church in another part of the state, and I was sharing with him some of the burdens that you carry. He didn't use your name, but just sharing some of the burdens within our congregation. I was sharing with him the burden of, of, of trying to reach our city for Jesus and, and reaching the youngest to the oldest and, and trying to have all of us to love the gospel more than we love our own preferences. And I was just sharing with him different burdens. And I said, you know, I, I think I just need to give these to the Lord. I never forget what this guy told me at the hunting camp. He said, you mean you haven't done that already? <laughs> what seminary did you go to? <laughs> You know, sometimes what we do is we want to stay stirred up because it gives us a sense of control. It gives us a sense like we're in charge. But when we see Jesus as king, we come to him who carries our burdens, and his yoke is easy, and and his burden is light. So whatever you brought with you today, I'm not telling you it's going to be any easier when you walk out of here. But I am asking you, bring it to your king and let Jesus handle it for you and stop trying to be king of your own life. Let's take a minute and listen to the words of this famous sermon and give our burdens over to our king. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of truth. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient Savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a well-trained of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His good 
Let me pray for you. Our Father, thank you that we get to celebrate the King this Easter week. I ask that you would help us to do that with a renewed heart, with a freshness, with an excitement like we have never celebrated Easter before. God, I pray that you would help us to give our burdens to you. There are many men and women, young and older, in our church family who are walking through some deep valleys. And every week, we hear more and more of these burdens. I can only imagine all the ones that we don't hear about. I pray right now, at the end of this service, that you would help us to have calmed hearts. Not by our own strength, but as we remember that you are Lord, you are sovereign. Nothing passed through your hands to us that did not first pass through your heart. You know what's best for us. And I pray we would leave our burdens in your hands. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you take just a minute right there where you sit, maybe you need to pray. Some will feel free to get on your knees or come here to the front and pray. However the Lord is leading you, let's surrender to our King today. If you're here this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, do you know today could be the day? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's no set prayer or magic words in the Bible, but every person who has ever called on the Lord with a sincere heart to be saved has found God's gift of salvation. Right there where you sit, if you, would you pray this prayer with me? You can put it in your own words, but in the quietness of your heart, pray this after me. Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I want to be king of my own life. But I believe you sent your son to take my place. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And I believe he rose from the grave. Holy Spirit, come into my life. Make me a Christian. Help me to follow Jesus as Lord. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer, please let me, one of our pastors, know after the service. I'll be here at the front. Pastor Lee will be here at the front. We have pastors in the living room, men and women, 
just let us know, hey, I prayed that prayer. I'd like to learn more about following Jesus, and we'll follow up with you this week. Let me ask you to look this way. We're going to go out with those words of the King in our hearts without singing this morning. Let them resonate through lunch. Let them resonate through the afternoon. But before we go, I'd like to send you out with a benediction. Remember our business meeting over here at the front. If you're a member, if you'll just stick around for uh, 10 minutes or so, and we'll do our business together. Let me send you out with a blessing for the road in the name of the King. May Christ comfort you with his compassion. May he heal you with his hope. Go now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Peace be with you.